Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, It is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. We are continuing our journey through Galatians. Uh, Galatians has been rather challenging thus far, let's just be honest. It's challenged some of the things that we've thought. Paul came to the area, which is modern-day Turkey, with a message that Jesus and Jesus alone actually makes us okay with God. And he left town, went back, you know, uh, uh, went back, I guess, towards Antioch, but uh, not 12 months later, he catches wind that these uh, Galatians... Had, who had started off so well receiving Christ and, and trusting that their okayness with God was because of Christ and Christ alone, he had caught wind that they were actually, they had been distracted from that message with another message that says, Jesus gets us kind of in the door, but, but our, our, our continued okayness with God, our continued fellowship with God, our continued intimacy with God is actually managed by how well we do and don't do certain things. And Paul is livid. He says anybody preaching that garbage, he calls it a perverted message, should be accursed. That's pretty powerful. I don't care who you are. That's powerful. And so he's outlining what the true gospel actually is. And I just can't help but to think, 2,000 years later, is it possible that we ourselves have become distracted from what the gospel actually is? Hey, if they got distracted after 12 months, is it not possible that we in our Christian culture have got distracted over 2,000 years? Sure. And so our subtitle is Living Distraction-Free in a World Full of Distractions. So we're going to jump into chapter 3, verse 15. If you're new with us, I've met a couple of new families, I encourage you to go back and check the previous podcast. I don't have time to summarize it all. But before we jump into chapter 3, verse 15, I want to pose a question to you. Does how we perceive something determine how we engage that thing? Does how we perceive something determine how we engage that thing? Of course it does. My beautiful wife right here that was singing this morning, she just looked at me like, why are you calling me out? She, for whatever reason, desires to jump out of an airplane and then at the right time pull this little cord and float peacefully, perfectly, picture perfect down to planet Earth. There's a guy with two thumbs that thinks, that's right here, that thinks that is the stupidest idea in the world. It's not so much that I'm afraid of heights, it's more so that I'm afraid of all the millions of moving parts that have to go just right in order for that to happen. I mean, was the chute packed correctly? Was the harness secured? I mean, a reserve chute? Should you really have to have a reserve chute? I mean, what's this all about? And so for me, my perception of skydiving is determining my, determines my engagement with it. It ain't going to happen. She said, you hear? She said, well, I'm just going to do it. Um, yeah. Uh, but it's not just our perception of things, you know, also our perception of people. 
determines how our engagement with people. Back in college years ago, I was one summer, I was a uh, door-to-door salesman for books. That's actually how I met April's dad. Um, and I, you've had a door-to-door salesman come to your door, and you have one of two perceptions already. If it's a good perception, if they perceived door-to-door salesman as a good thing, then I was going to seal the deal. But if they already, before you know, they even opened the door, already had a preconceived notion about what a door-to-door salesman is all about, no matter how much I did, no matter what I said, the product was not going to move because there was a preconceived idea. And we all do this in some sort of way. For example, and I know we've got some retired police officers. If you are driving down the interstate or if you're at a red light and all of a sudden a police officer, you know, comes and, and, and he's behind you, whether you're not breaking the law, or you are or not. I mean, it doesn't even matter. You just want that guy to get on past you and kind of, you know, go somewhere else. I mean, it's true. Sorry, Larry. But it's true. It's true. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a waiting room or in a restaurant or, or at a, a ball game. And I strike up a conversation with a couple of guys sitting around me. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, the way guys talk most of the time, it's not very G-rated. And so they're, they're talking. I'm trying to get to know them. And then uh, they ask me, well, so what do you do for a living? <laughs> you know what happens next, right? I know what happens next because it happens to me all the time. And, and I, well, I'm a pastor. In the following three steps, oh, I am so sorry. Please forgive me and they go to the other side of the room every single time. Our preconceived ideas about people determine how we engage people. I mean, that's just the truth. Now let's get to Galatians, because hopefully this is going to make sense. What about when it comes to God? Does our preconceived ideas about God, does our perception of God determine how we engage God? You better believe it does. Let me say it this way. Does our perception of God determine our worship of God? And when I say worship, I don't mean singing or praying. Those are good things. But I mean how we actually live out this Christian life in this world. Does our perception of God affect how we live this thing out in this world? You better believe it does. And so we get to Galatians chapter 3, verse 15. And Paul had presented a perception of God, a view of God that he calls the true view of God, the the truth about God. And these people called these Judaizers, these religious folk, came in and said, no, 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 it's not quite that simple. You actually, you know, have to do all these things in order to actually be, you know, in God's presence. And that started to change their perception of God because, and Paul is so livid because he knows their perception of God determines how they worship this God. So let's pick up in verse 15. And as we walk through this, let's just ask ourselves the question, how do I perceive God? How do I truly view him? What is the truth? What is it what I see about him? And am I willing to change my mind to see what the truth really is? He says, brethren, verse 15, I speak in terms of human relations. In other words, I'm going to give you an example that you all understand. Even though it is only a man's covenant, when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now, look, this word covenant, we've got to understand what this word means. Do not think of the idea of a contract. A contract is between two parties, okay? A covenant is not a contract. A covenant is a one-sided contract promise. In our world today, we would use the word will. 
okay? Maybe you've already filled out your, your will, you know, of who you're going to bequeath all of your stuff to. And if you've got a lot of stuff and you've got another little name there that you want to add to it, you can add mine. But, but a will is a promise that when I die, I'm going to leave the following things to, other, to somebody else. That's what this word covenant means. Actually, the Greek word, it, 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 there's no question about it. This is not a partnership. It is a promise. It is a, it is a will, a last will and testament, if you will. Now, when you establish a will for your children or for your, 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 your spouse or whatever, you realize that you don't bring them into the decision-making process as far as making them sign something promising that they would do something in order for, you, for this stuff to be yours. See, that's not a will. That's a contract. But a will is one where you sign it, probably a lawyer signs it. I don't know. I haven't done it yet. Maybe we should. And then maybe a public notary signs it, and that's it. It is official. It's been ratified. But the person who receives it, they don't sign it. I did not sign my dad's will, but I receive everything that he has left for me. We've got to understand what that means or else the rest of the message isn't going to make any sense. So Paul is saying this is the way covenant or a will works. And this is the covenant that God has actually established for us. And there's no terms that can be added to it, but simply receiving it. Now, verse 16. Now, the promises, okay, the promises of this covenant, you know, what God is bequeathing, if you will, what the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Now, Paul is about to drop some gospel knowledge on us. He says, and to his seed. And he does not say, and to his seeds, plural, referring to many, but rather to one, and to his, your seed. And here's something that is hidden from eternity past, and now it's been made known. The seed that is the one who is receiving the promise of God is Christ. So Paul is letting us in on this major secret that all the way back in Genesis, God made a promise not just to Abraham, but also to Abraham's seed, singular. Not to every single offspring of Abraham, but to a specific offspring of Abraham, and his name is Jesus. Now get this. God is making a promise to Jesus. Do we see this? This is important. God is making a promise to Jesus. Now we say, wait a minute, I thought Jesus is God. Bingo. Absolutely. God could swear by no greater name, and so he made an oath to himself. He promised to himself that all who would trust him actually receive him. But now the Jews and the Judaizers, the religious elite, you know, they were convinced that it was only those who were physical children of Abraham or at least converts over to Judaism, those would receive the blessings of God's presence. And that's why the Judaizers were so fervishly, feverishly, sorry, working to get all of the Gentiles to become Jews because they thought that you had to actually be a Jew in order to receive these promises. But Paul is letting them in on this revelation that this isn't to just simply the physical descendants or these converts to Judaism, but it's a promise to a person, and that person is Christ. So what's Paul saying? Verse 17. I love the first part of this verse. What I am saying is this. <laughs> I love that because like, I mean, what are you saying, Paul? Well, what I'm saying is this. We don't have to guess about it. We don't even have to read the commentaries about it because he makes it very plain and simple. The law, which came 430 years later 
after this promise was made, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God as to nullify the promise. I'll put this in simple terms for us. Let's imagine that you have a wealthy grandfather. I mean wealthy beyond imagination. And this grandfather, whatever reason, he didn't put your parents in his will, but he named you in his will. Well, that doesn't sit over very well with your parents, does it? And so your parents try to figure up some sort of legal way to go in and change the stipulations so that you now have a performance clause to where you have to do all of these things and, and, and become all this stuff as a, as a person in order to actually receive the inheritance. Now, here's the legal question. Can, your, can this performance clause of your parents, can that actually change the will, the covenant of your grandfather? Look, I'm not a lawyer. Please do not come get your law advice from me. But I just don't see how a clause added later, after the covenant has been ratified, could ever change the original desires of your grandfather. And that's exactly Paul's point here. The will, the covenant of God, the promise of God was given hundreds of years before the law was ever given. This inheritance was promised by God to Jesus that whoever believed God would receive God. And now this document has come, this thing called the Mosaic Law. It came 430 years later, but it does not undo the promise that God made to Jesus. It can't. And he explains it in verse 18. He says, for, and remember, if you ever see the word for, Paul's, Paul's explaining himself. For, if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on the promise. But God has granted it, this promise, to Abraham by means of a promise. God has granted this inheritance by means of a promise. So what Paul is saying is that this inheritance, which remember, we saw last week. If you weren't here, please go back and check that out, the first part, chapter 3. The inheritance is God himself. And the law, which came later, it cannot change that inheritance. The promise remains that whoever believes Jesus goes from death unto life, goes from lost to now saved, goes from dead to in sins to now dead uh, to sin, goes from being far from God to now actually being one spirit with God, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And all of this is based on a promise, not based on keeping the law. So here's the million-dollar question that I have. Let's go back to verse 18. The million-dollar question that I have is this: if this inheritance, if this promise of God is based not on us keeping the Mosaic law, but it's instead on God's promise, then why in the world did God even give this thing of the Mosaic law? Doesn't that make sense? I mean, why did he even give it? Why did he even bring it down? What was the point of it if now today we're just become so distracted by it, thinking that by doing these stone tablets, the Ten Commandments, these various laws, by doing them, we actually get more of God? Why did he even give them? Well, that's what Paul asks and answers. He says, why then the law? What's the whole point of this thing? And he says, he answers it. This is verse 19. He says, it was added because of transgressions. We'll unpack that in a second. Having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator. The mediator was Moses. He was giving this law to the people of Israel. It was added until, 
the seed would come to whom the promise had been made, and that's Jesus. Now, a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. So Paul is going to give us actually two. If you're taking notes, you can actually write down number one and number two. He is going to give us two very specific reasons as to why God gave the law. And this is very important for us to understand. The very first reason is right here. It says it was added because of transgressions. It was added because of sins. You see, in order for us to realize our need to be rescued from our sins, we need to realize the, the gravity of our sins. And so the law was given to open up the eyes specifically of the Israelites, but even us today, of how far from God, apart from Christ, we actually are. It points out how far we have fallen short of his perfect standard. The law was never intended to be a goal to achieve because no one could. The law was a weight, a burden to bring us, the Jews specifically, but to bring us to our knees, to bring us to our senses, to realize just how incompatible with God we actually are on our own. So why the law? To open up our eyes to see that we could never be compatible with a holy God. Now, here's a piece of this whole law versus grace thing that we've got to see. You know, today in our culture, we have a lot of debate of, you know, is Christianity, you know, is it just grace? Is it, is it, maybe it's just law, or maybe it's a combo of the two, grace and a little bit of law. Please see this if this is still a, a, a sticking point for you. Paul says the law was added, and I've highlighted those words for this reason. It was added, I means it's not original. It wasn't a part of the original promise. It was added, and it was added until. It was added for a period of time until the seed would come. Think of it as a sunset clause. It was added for a period of time from this point until this point, until Jesus had come. So follow this train of thought with me. If the law was given to point out our incredible wickedness and the fact that we can never be uh, compatible with God, because of our sins, and then the Son of God actually came, the seed came to actually take away all of our sins, and we now are in Christ, forgiven of all of our sins, then what is the purpose of the law for us today? What is our relationship to the law today? Well, Paul already answered that back in chapter 2. He says that we are dead to the law so that we could live to God. Look at verse 21. He says, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Meaning, Okay, did he give the law so that the promises could be fulfilled by the law? Absolutely not. May it never be. For, or here's what I'm saying. If a law had been given, which was able to actually impart life, then righteousness, okayness with God, would have indeed been based upon law. But the scripture has shut up. I, didn't, I wasn't allowed to say shut up as a kid, so I'm going to say that. I even put it in red. We're at church, and I can say shut up. The Scripture has shut up. The Scripture, he's talking about the law, has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus might be given to those who believe. Listen, the law was not, it was not designed to fix man's problem. It was designed to reveal our problem. In our devotion, this weekly devotion, which you can get it at lifejourneyva.com slash distractions, the devotion for this week, I write about how 
uh, the law is like an EKG machine. An EKG, if you're familiar, you know, it's all these things that they put on your body to, to show you that you have an irregular heart rhythm. Now, no doctor in their right mind, and again, don't take my medical advice either, my legal advice nor my medical advice, but no doctor in their right mind would say, you know what, uh, Lou, you have an irregular heart rhythm, and I'm going to put this EKG machine on you to fix it. EKG machines don't fix, right, Mike? They don't fix the problem, but they reveal the problem, right? They reveal, they show you that there's something wrong, but the EKG does not fix the problem. This is the law. The law was given to show us we have a problem, and our problem is that we have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. But the law was never designed to actually fix the problem. He says it, for if a law was able to actually impart life, then righteousness would be based on law. But it's not, because the law cannot actually give life. In fact, Paul says the law shuts us up. I think that's so cool. That's so profound. It shuts us up. I was thinking of an example, and I found an example in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus is actually preaching law. Jesus is shutting people up in Matthew chapter 5. He starts talking. Now, remember who he's talking to. He's talking to a bunch of religious Jews. There are no Christians in the audience. The death of Jesus hadn't occurred. The burial of Jesus hadn't occurred. The resurrection of Jesus hadn't occurred. There are no Christians in Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus is saying to them, he says to them, he says, now listen, blessed are those who have a pure heart. For those who have a pure heart will what? See God. I mean, just imagine all the religious Uh, folk who are there thinking over the last 24 to 48 hours of their track record thinking, wow, yeah, you know, I've had a a pretty good run here recently. I'm going to see God. And then what does Jesus say? Jesus says a lot of things. You read it for yourself. But one of the things he says is, now you've heard it said that thou shalt not commit adultery. Now remember, the religious crowd who are putting their hope in being able to accomplish the law in order to be okay with God. Just think about how they're looking at the track record and they're thinking, you know, raising their hand saying, check, done, no adultery here. I am good to go. And then Jesus leans in and says, but I want you to understand what that's really saying. I want you to understand what that's really saying. That if you have even lusted for a woman in your heart, you have committed adultery with her in your heart. Whoa. You hear anybody whispering out there? The law shuts us up. Who? Who out there in that religious group in Matthew chapter 5 could keep their hand up and say, hey, I'm still good. I'm still good. I've never even lusted after a woman. I'm still good. The law shut them up. And I can just imagine Jesus kind of leaning in and kind of saying, so how's that righteousness now? How's that purity of your heart now? You see, the law was not uh, something to aspire to. The law was a burden, a weight to bring us to our knees to realize that we must have someone to rescue us from its curse. And that's exactly what the very next verse says in chapter, I mean, verse 23. It says, but before faith came, we were kept in custody. Does that sound good to you? Anybody want to be in custody? Well, this is the law. We were kept in custody before faith came under the law, being shut up. There it is again. So I'm going to say it again, being shut up to the fact, uh, to the faith, which was later to be revealed. Therefore, 
The law has become our tutor. Your, your translation might say schoolmaster or our leader to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified, that we might be made okay with God by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So we just saw the first reason of the law, and that was to open our eyes to see we are completely incompatible with God. Open our eyes. And here's the second reason that God, that God provided this thing called the law, to actually lead these people, to lead us even, but to lead the Jews towards the person, towards the one, the promised one, the seed, who could actually make them okay with God. The law was given to actually lead us to what we actually need. The law does, write this down, I love it. The law does not give life. The law leads us to the one who is life. That's awesome. It's awesome. So the law shows what we need. We need righteousness. We need forgiveness. We need holiness. We need real compatibility with God, and it's only found in Jesus. You know, it's kind of like um, Riesland. She's not here. She has uh, pneumonia. I keep praying for her. I think she's doing a lot better. But she's our 16-month-old daughter, for those who, who don't know Riesland. And if, Riesel, if I were holding Riesland and she's just, you know, being 16 months and just crying and wailing and she's pointing over to, to April and April's over on the other side of the room and I would ask you, I'd say, Craig, could you please take Riesland and lead her over to April? Well, Craig would be happy to do that. He would lead her over to April. But, but wouldn't it be kind of weird if Craig or anybody then stayed a part of Riesland's life for the rest of her life every minute of every day trying to parent my, ch- my child because I simply asked her to lead him? I asked him to lead her over to April. That'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? That's, we got to understand the purpose of the law. The law was to actually lead us over to Christ. But now that faith has come, we no longer need the law's leadership. We no longer need its tutoring because we actually have Jesus. We actually have the one who will actually produce life through us. And it's not rules that does that, according to Paul. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at him. But it's actually Jesus. It's led us to Jesus. Jesus is now our guide. Jesus is our life. Jesus is our holiness. Jesus is our righteousness. The law could never produce this. It even says it very plainly in verse 26. He says, for you are all sons, sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized all of you who were placed, all of you who were dipped, immersed into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. So think with me, which, which are we? Are we sons of God through faith in Jesus or are we sons of the law? Are we sons of rule keeping or are we sons of Jesus? Because apparently we can't have it both ways. You know, there's a big thing called bar mitzvah, you know, becoming a son of the law. Think about the irony does the law, is the law able to produce life? The answer is no. But yet we are promoting sonship to law. It can't produce life, but God can, and God does, and he has actually birthed us from himself as new creations. And to be baptized into Christ Jesus means that in every way we look now, Front, back, up, down, left, right, everywhere we look, we are enveloped by Christ himself. We've got to see this. We've been born of God. We're his sons. 
We've been placed into Christ Jesus, and now we walk in this world clothed with Jesus. Why is this so important? Why does Paul go here? Why is this so important? Because this is how the promise of God's very presence becomes yours. Who was the promise made to? Everybody say Jesus. Let's try that again. Who was the promise made to? Everybody say Jesus. And if you trust Jesus, where are you now? In Jesus. That's why this is so important. Because you are now in Jesus, you have been baptized into him, you've been placed into him, you now wear him in this world, that means that you are now a recipient of the same inheritance. In fact, that's exactly what he says in verse 28 and 29. He says something like, there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, uh, sorry, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. There is one inheritance, and it is now yours. And if you belong to Christ, that is, if you are in Christ, because he was the one that was promised to, then you are Abraham's descendants. I don't have time to get into a Greek lesson, but real quick, that is not plural in the original language. I don't know why the New American Standard puts it plural. Most all the translations put it plural, but that is singular. You are Abraham's descendant. You now are Abraham's seed. Why? Because you are in Christ. So everything that God promised to Jesus, it is now yours because you are in him. God sees you. Let's let's let this sink in. God sees you no different than he sees his own son because you are now in him. Heirs, you and I, heirs according to this promise. This is so powerful. We are heirs, not according to our performance. We're not heirs according to our track record or according to our ability, but we're heirs according to a promise. You got to remember what the inheritance is. The inheritance is God himself, his very spirit, his very presence now in us. And it is ours because of a promise. So God made this covenant way back in Genesis 15. Hebrews tells us that a covenant, a will, only goes into actual effect when the person who makes the covenant, let's see who's paying attention, when the one who makes the covenant actually dies. That's just like if I make a, a will, a covenant for my children, they can't get my stuff, which is, you know, my iPad make, what else do I have? Um, they, they, they can't, which they want that. Um, they can't get that until I die. So this covenant that God put in effect doesn't go into effect, didn't go into effect until the one who made the covenant died. Let me ask you, has, has Jesus died? Yes, he has. And so this covenant that we call the new covenant, which you'll see in your devotions this week, is actually older than the old covenant. It has gone into a full effect. And so, therefore, the very full reality of God himself in his spirit is now yours to the point where you have become fused, fused with him as a new creation. So how does this factor into our daily life? Let's wrap this thing up. Our journey marker this morning, we've already said it several times. If you're new with us, a journey marker is like, how do we kind of condense this whole thing into a simple thought? It's just this. Our perception of God determines 
our worship of God. How we view God determines how we live in this world. Our perception of God determines our worship of God. You know, I think there's a very specific reason why the Holy Spirit through Paul wants us to have the proper view of who God is. It's because he knows that how we view God affects how we live in this world. I want to give you a very clear example of how this works. If you view God like the Judaizers did and like the the Galatians did, like I have done most of my life, if you view God as this one who is, you know, impossible to please because he has set a standard called the law, the Ten Commandments, whatever you want to call it, he has set this up, and every time we violate, every time we sin, God is in his cosmic uh, giant swivel chair of grace where he swivels away from you when you mess up. And then you, you say you're sorry, you beg for forgiveness, you, you, you do whatever you need to do to get right, and then once you're right with him, he then swivels back towards you and says, hey, I'm back now, my face is shining towards you. Until you do what? Mess up again, and he swivels back away from you. If that's the way you view God, I can promise you one thing. That's exactly how you're going to view others when they sin against you. If you see God in this cosmic judgment chair of swivelness, that's exactly how you're going to relate with others. When they sin against you, you're going to swivel your favor away from them, waiting for them to do what you think they need to do in order to get right with you so that you can then swivel back and say, okay, because you did that, now I'm okay with you. Tell me I'm lying. Tell me I'm lying. But on the converse... If we have a proper view of God for what he's really done, a proper perception, then what is our worship? What is the way that we live? If we see God not in a swivel chair of justice slash grace, but on a throne of grace that we boldly come to knowing that he has forgiven us of all of our sin, that no sin account remains whatsoever because he took our entire account and he placed it into his son and crucified his son so that we could stand before him complete, forgiven, and free from the very curse. If that's how we view God, then let me ask you, how are you going to view someone else who sins against you? Maybe not overnight, because we have this thing called sin that lives in our flesh. But I can guarantee you that if as our eyes are focused on who God truly is, we won't be able to help but live that in this world. If you see God as the one who loves you and gave your life, his life for you, then guess how your marriage is going to be transformed. If you see God as the one who loves you regardless of, of any sort of behavior in the flesh because he has forgiven you completely, then, then, get, then think with me, imagine with me what your parenting is going to look like. Because if your kids are like my kids, I mean, my kid lied about mints this morning. I mean, your kid is going to lie to you. Imagine what parenting can look like. When we lose the distraction, we lose the add-on, we, we replace this swivel chair of favor with the truth that because of Jesus, we are now inheritors. We are now heirs of God himself. Our band's going to come up and close us out with a song called You Alone Can Rescue. It's not rules. It's not regulations. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Our perception of God determines our worship of God. So the question to you this morning is, how do you see God? 
Do you see him as having forgiven all of your sins and now dwelling in you both on your best day but also on your worst day? If you do, that same unconditional grace, that unconditional love, I promise it will be towards others. But maybe you, like I did for so many years, viewed God as this impossible-to-please judge on his swivel chair of favor, going back and forth. When we do good, he's looking at you. When you do bad, you know, well, I, I don't even know who that guy is until he does something to go, oh, oh, now there he is. If that's how you view God, I promise you, you will radiate that very image to those around you. It's that simple. Why else do you think that Paul says for us to set our gaze on Jesus? Why, why else would we, he, he call us to set our focus, to set our minds, whatever is noble, pure, whatever is right, whatever is just, to think on these things? Because he knows that our perception of God determines our worship of God. One perception is freedom and gives life. The other perception, it's bondage, and it leads to death. Bound or free, which will you be? I want to make a quick clarifying point about law in this world. You know, if you go out this week, you resist arrest, you rob a liquor store, you sin in this world, you violate a law, guess what? You will not be able to, your defense before the prosecution will not be, hey, I'm under grace, not under law. You are 100% acquitted guiltless, blameless, forgiven in one court, and that is the court where God reigns as judge. But if you're downtown, God's not sitting on that throne. You will be guilty. You will go to jail. You will do whatever, you know, whatever the punishment is because you have violated man's law. But think with me. We'll get into this more in chapter 5. I want to set, set, you know, preview some stuff. But what's the best way to actually not violate even man's laws? Is it by being consumed with the laws of the land? Or is it by, being, by living by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us? Think about it. Will Jesus ever lead you to resist arrest? Will Jesus ever lead you to rob a liquor store? No way. So Jesus even fixes both courts in a very real sense. But if you violate this court, you will be guilty. If you violate, but there is no accounting anymore in the court of heaven. Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you for your love towards us. Your love and that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And Father, I just pray this morning that as we meditate on this amazing reality that we are no longer under the leadership, the schoolmaster, the tutor of the law, because we have something so much better. We have Jesus. Father, help us to see the true perspective, the true reality of you, because that is going to affect our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's what we saw today. Here's what we saw. We could either be a church that's empowered by the true perception of God, or we could be distracted by a perversion, a perverted view of God. Look, I don't know about you and your neighbors and your friends, but let me tell you about my neighbors and my friends who don't yet trust Jesus. They are in desperate need of seeing the truth of who God actually is, that God is a promise maker and that he is a promise keeper. No bait and switch. No, don't come to me by faith, and then now here's your pile of stuff to do to really be, make me happy with you. 
He's a promise maker and a promise keeper. Ultimately, we've got to choose what type of church we're going to be. One that promotes the truth of who God is or a church that seeks to bait and switch once people start trusting Jesus. I know which one I want to be because it's, it's life. Hope you guys have a great week. Love to see you in groups. The band's going to continue singing if you want to continue worshiping. But don't leave without saying that you love somebody. Give them a hug and meet somebody new. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of The Teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.